Hello and welcome back to our Bible study series in the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, I would like you to open it up, not to Psalm 1, not to James chapter 5 as we normally do, but to Psalm 130. We are going to be reading through the last response from Job's three friends, and then the immediate response that Job gives that shuts their mouths. They are unable to respond. From that, though, there is a change in the tone of the book of Job. We have seen him complain. We have seen him argue with his friends. We have seen left and right the prophet Job maintaining his integrity as well as his steadfastness, his stubborn refusal to let go of God. But, as we open up to Psalm 130, we're going to notice that his friends, their last appeal to him is something that sounds a lot like the first few verses here. Hear the word of our Lord from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And we'll be coming back to that psalm throughout tonight as we go through Job chapter 25 and 26. Fair warning, this is going to be a shorter installment in the Enduring Job series. Tonight's going to be a shorter study, but there's a reason for that that we will be getting to. Brief bit of context before we start chapter 25. Job has been responding to his friends as they say over and over and over again, at some point, Job, you sinned, God is punishing you, you need to repent for things to be made right. We worship a merciful God, and when we go to him in penitent faith, he is merciful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Job's three friends bring up sterling and solid orthodox theology into their conversation, missing one crucial and excruciating point. They are speaking about soteriology, and that's not what Job is going through. He is already justified by faith in our Lord. He already relates to God on a personal level. His sins are already forgiven, and he trusts in our Lord for salvation. 
So everything his friends are saying doesn't apply. As the very first chapter of Job says, Job was blameless before God. This isn't about discipline in the sense of punishment. But as we read through chapter 23 and 24, we couldn't help but notice that as Job voices his complaints, he starts to talk about righteous topics. He's no longer crying, me, 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 all the way home like some angry little piggy. Job is instead starting to look at the poor all around him. He is starting to speak about justice in terms of oppression of those who are harmed, the homeless, the naked, the orphan, the widow. Job is starting in this process of sanctification, and as he gets closer to God through steadfastness, he's beginning to seem a lot less selfish. Far be it from me to say that the man has been selfish throughout this book, but he's not looking at his own afflictions anymore. He's thinking more big picture. But in chapter 25, Bildad, on behalf of all three of Job's friends, says his last piece. And you're going to note that this is the shortest chapter in the book of Job, except the last chapter. Hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 25. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not arise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot, and the son of man who is a worm. We've heard a lot of language like this in the book of Job. Job's friends say that, look, even if you're forgiven of your sins, there's something you missed. I could, I swear up and down, Job, there is something you're not getting because we are all sinners. They read the book of Romans. At least it seems that way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as St. Paul says. What else are they going to say? You can't call yourself pure and blameless, Job. And Bildad speaks again with that voice, repeating himself, going over ground that has been tread before, and we see that reflected in Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Answer being, nobody could. All of humanity, we are a big mass of dying maggot sacks with our own sins in our past. None of us deserve the salvation that God offers. So in verse 4, in Psalm 130, it says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And I would suspect that Bildad here was about to go into some sort of diatribe bringing up gospel to Job's ears, saying, None of us are innocent before God, but there is forgiveness. You can go to him. 
Unfortunately, it appears that Job has lost his patience. This being the shortest chapter in the whole book, it's just six verses. These big, long speeches that Job's friends have been giving, that Job has been giving, Job stops Bildad right in his tracks, interrupts him, and explodes. So we're going to read verse 6 of chapter 24, and we're going to immediately go into chapter 26. Sorry, chapter 25 and into chapter 26. To reflect that, something was cut short. Job did not let his friend finish. So he says, How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? Then Job answered and said, How you have helped him who has no power! How you have saved the arm that has no strength. How you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge with whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you. The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads it over his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters, at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stilled the sea, by his understanding he shattered Rahab, by his wind the heavens were made fair, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whimper do we hear of him! But the thunder of his power, who can understand? This is the best approximation I can get from the tone of the text. Job has had it up to here with his friends telling him the same thing over and over and over again. He is done with it, and he decides to finish Bildad's thought for him. But first, with a heavy dose of angry sarcasm. How you have helped him who has no power. Verse 2 of chapter 26. Bildad. Oh, clearly God is so weak that you can't speak for him. I've been demanding answers from God, not you, but I guess God is really fortunate that you are there to help him, where apparently he's just really tired and napping or something. Is that it, Bildad? How you have saved the arm that has no strength. The creator of the universe apparently can't come and answer for himself. He can't come and interact with me. No, he's got to send Bildad, doesn't he? How you have counseled him who has no wisdom. Clearly, the being that created everything and knows the ins and outs of morality to an infinite degree, the omniscient, omniscient God. Oh yes, he needs your wisdom, Bildad, for you to tell me the same thing over and over and over again. With whose help you have uttered words, and whose breath has come out of you? Are you speaking for God still? What's the message here? Job is angrily saying, God can answer for himself. I don't care what you say at this point. And maybe we could fault Job for being this impatient at this point. But given that his friends and him have been sitting there in the dirt for seven days, only for his friends to answer him with, 
Job, listen, we love you and we need you to know this. You're a piece of crap and you need to say sorry to God. Of all this book, of all the correct words that they say, that is what this amounts to. Job could not complain in peace without his friends deciding that they needed to rush to the aid of God and tell Job what a poor, miserable sinner he is, as though he had no awareness of his own sins. At this point, he says, I've had it up to here. I want to hear from God, and he doesn't need you, Bildad. The dead tremble, verse 5, under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. You can tell me all you want that God is perfect, and everything is imperfect in comparison to him, that there are no men who are sinless. God knows this, Bildad. I know that God knows this. He stretches out the north over the void, verse 7, and hangs the earth on nothing. This entire world is just floating here at the pleasure of God. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. Have you noticed that heavy rains seem to come out of nowhere, and the clouds don't even fall to the ground, Bildad? He is the one holding up the weather. He is the one making it sunny or cloudy or rainy or giving us drought or famine or plenty. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads it over his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness, that infinite horizon that Job could point to as he speaks. He says, that's God's doing. I know this. Don't you think I know this? You cannot assume that I am so stupid as to forget the God that I worship, Bildad. And I know that nobody gets away with sin. As an aside, have you ever had a friend who was suffering and you treated him like he was stupid? He seems confused. Out of the depths of his soul, he is hurting over something terrible that has happened to him. And you want to be gentle with him. You want to put on the kid gloves and help him to heal. Instead of telling him, rub some dirt on it, champ, you'll be fine. You tell him, I know this is hard, but you're going to make it through, brother. And eventually, as he is in his distress, you stop talking to him like an adult. You talk to him like he is a frustrated child screeching about a skinned knee or something. Job is essentially accusing his friends of treating him this way. When he can point at the horizon and say, I know about this. You know about this and you keep telling me about it, but I know that this is the case with God. Verse 11, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. Haven't you ever experienced an earthquake where you feel like you are floating on a tiny island in your house? By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Now, Rahab has been mentioned before. 
We do not know the exact nature of Rahab or the battle that God did with Rahab. But since this has been mentioned more than once, it does merit getting into it a little bit. Rahab was some sort of monster in the sea that God slayed. This was some giant sea creature that was being worshipped by men, and in order to stop that, God killed Rahab quite publicly, to the point where this would almost be considered like scripture for Job and his contemporaries. This would be the word of God for them as the understanding of what happened to Rahab. Since Job is the first book of the Bible to be written, Job was a contemporary of Abraham, and I will wholeheartedly tell you I believe Job wrote this. What did they believe in before then? Where did they get their understanding of God's power, his morals, the promise of a savior? They understood Eden. They understood the promise that one day there would be somebody to crush the head of the serpent, but there is so much that we just don't know about their world and their interactions with God before God called Abram out of the land in the east. Before all of that happened, here Job is giving us just a tiny peek into what their world was like, what their understanding of God's word was. God had passed down some oral tradition, and by that, Job is telling his friends, I know this word too. I know what was passed down to me. I know what was passed down to you regarding Rahab the monster. The serpent, by his wind the heavens were made fair, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. God killed this gigantic creature by himself. With his bare hand, this is the God to fear. In verse 14, the point of the chapter, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him but the thunder of his power who can understand. Incredibly important verse. Bildad. These are the outskirts of God's ways. God creating the entirety of reality. God seeing all sinners and what they do. God changing hearts and bringing people to eternal life. God, the Lord, destroying terrifying monsters that surpass our understanding. Something out of an H.P. Lovecraft book, for crying out loud. That is just the tip of the iceberg of God in his ways. An infinite God is so ineffable that the moment you understand anything about him, you haven't even begun to begin. Yes, I know what you're saying, Bildad. We are all sinners before God, but this is the God that says I am blameless. This is the God whom I have been praying to and worshiping my whole life. There is more to this, and I am not letting go until I get an answer. Job's explosion is going to be matched by two more explosions, so to speak. A foolish one from Elihu, the young man who decides to just repeat everybody over and over again, and then by God. God does not answer Job. God explodes at Job. 
God, it seems that he loses his patience for Job's uh, words, his tone, his demands. God will eventually answer Job in a way that, while it doesn't satisfy us, it certainly satisfied Job. Because much of what God says, Job already knew. And at this point, the beautiful thing about what's happening to Job's character, the way God is perfecting him, making him a better man through this suffering that he is going through, Job in this chapter we just read matches what God will say to him. God will point to all of creation. God will point to the fantastic creatures that we here in the year of our Lord 2023, we can't begin to imagine fully like Leviathan or the behemoth. God will point to all of these. And Job already knows a good amount of that. But it is so satisfying for Job to just hear that God is there. And so we turn to Psalm 130 again, and we can almost hear Job's words coming out of the text here. Almost like the psalmist was taking a page out of Job's notes. Verse 1 and 2, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Job says I'm not letting go until I know that you care. I don't even need to know exactly the ins and outs of what happens. At some point, Job will find out about the cosmic wager between God and the devil. Yes, he wrote the book. He understands later on what happened. But at this point, he says, I don't care about the specifics of why me. I just need to know you are here. And this shuts Bildad up. His friends, outside of Elihu, who we will get to, I'm so sorry for the contempt dripping out of my voice for Elihu, we'll get to him, but Job's friends are not going to respond anymore. They can't answer him a word at this point, because at this moment, Job is more sanctified than them. He is treating God personally, relationally. He's actually putting trust in God, because he trusts that God can actually be there and speak his care to him. And we do well to see this as part of our walk with God. We are going to go through hard times. If you have not gone through hard times already, if you have not suffered, if you have not been broken down to where you felt like you just couldn't hold on to anything anymore, seeing what happened to Job and seeing his response, where I can't hold on to anything, but darn it, I'm going to hold on to God. And I'm going to hold on for dear life as I yell at him until he tells me he loves me. That's something to learn. Even when we read Job's words and see a man who sounds, well, almost intolerably impatient. But after this chapter, he takes a deep breath, composes himself, and makes his final case before Elihu and then God 
answer him. We will get into that next week. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.